0: So, we've been here together now for a little over a day and engaging in this meditation practice and being together in the silence and the various forms that we've been offering. And we might ask ourselves, perhaps quite understandably, you know, what. Is it all about what are we engaging in this for? It's perhaps clear that it's not just about meditation, although it's a meditation retreat. Perhaps we start to get a sense that there's a little bit more going on here than just the learning of a particular technique or tool. And really what we're concerned with here in a retreat like this is to understand and to know for ourselves what it is means to be truly happy, to find peace and well-being in our lives. And I think this is something that we're all interested in. There's something universal, something that as human beings we share. And yet, equally as human beings, we share what seems to often feel like a, a relatively limited degree of capacity to be able to find this for ourselves to discover and to experience, to live this happiness, this peace, this well-being that we seek. And I think that's really understandable because we haven't necessarily learnt, been taught or shown how it is that happiness really arises. It's not a random event that uh, is bestowed upon some fortunate others although of course circumstances and fortune present different challenges for each of us but there's something more fundamental going on than the circumstances or the challenges that we present the uh, good fortune or otherwise that we might experience And this was really the concern of the Buddha. A concern, I believe, that he shared and shares with us all. And he once observed in regard to this, he said, I teach one thing and one thing only. And we might wonder what it was that he taught. In fact, if you've looked at any of um, the sort of the the volumes of his teachings it would be quite impressive if he only taught one thing and managed to fill entire bookshelves with what he had to say. And what he said was, I teach one thing and one thing only, suffering and the end of suffering. I remember a friend of mine remarking some years ago, he said, hmm, that's curious, that sounds like two things. And he went on to reflect, well, maybe the Buddha started off just teaching about suffering. But he found it wasn't such a popular message. And so it seems a little more attractive to us. We're drawn, I think, by that possibility, that prospect of transformation that is expressed in the, in the language, in this case, of the end of suffering that could equally express more be expressed more positively in terms of the discovery of that which brings happiness and satisfaction, that which brings well-being. And so this teaching, this practice and this path is concerned with, with understanding what brings happiness, what allows for and supports the healing and the transformation of suffering. And if we look at our lives, if we allow ourselves to feel deeply into what it means to be what we are, to be touched by the truth of our experience, and it's one of the things that happens here in the sitting and the walking and the standing and the silence, we're, we're touched, we're affected, we feel deeply what's going on. And there's a, a way in which we, we notice, we encounter the condition of our heart and our mind. And we can see that our mind is often busy, distracted, reactive. Our heart's either tight or closed or sometimes affected by that which is difficult to bear. And we care so deeply for this heart and this mind, this experience of our lives. It's really what concerns us. And What it is that will support well-being in this field of our lives. The Buddha pointed to three specific areas that we need to give attention to. And these are really the foundations of happiness, the foundations of peace, which we can develop. And these three areas are what I'd like to speak about this evening. The first area that the Buddha spoke of and pointed to could be characterized as the field of goodness. And in this, our capacity for extending support and well-being to others. And the Buddha spoke of two particular ways in which we can do this. And one is through the expression of sharing of generosity, of offering what we have and sharing it with others. There's something naturally and inherently uplifting for us about sharing things with others. It touches us when others offer things to us and it equally touches us when we're moved by that impulse to share. And I... I notice at times, and I'm struck by how natural it is when we see a wild creature, or certainly for myself, if we meet some creature, sort of a bird or a squirrel or a, one of the cute little bunnies that bounce around on the lawn, and if it's not something that's threatening us so we don't feel afraid, how there's a often just a natural wish to be able to give it something, to give it some food or to extend something towards it and i think when our hearts are open this is a natural response we have because there's something joyful there's something delightful in sharing and this is something the buddha spoke of as a as a foundation for life and together with this this capacity we have for sharing the the expression of care and respect for other beings that we that we talked about In the opening, and Kirsten spoke about the precepts refraining from causing harm. This is something incredibly important if we're interested in happiness. All the meditation techniques and the forms rest upon the power of our care for the well-being of others equally as ourselves and our respect for the wish of all beings to be free from suffering, just as we wish to be so. And these these two elements of what really comprise a way of life that's founded in goodness are, are essential for us to give attention to, to care for. And we can see that when we cause harm to others it actually causes harm to ourselves that there's a there's an inner contraction and a painfulness that's experienced if we if we're in touch if we're attuned to our hearts when we cause harm to others and when we live in a way that's self-centered or selfish it's actually painful And when we act from kindness, from care for others, it's actually uplifting. It's something quite beautiful for us. And so what we can also notice is that we're often driven by powerful forces in our lives. Forces of of greed, of neediness, of wanting, of craving. And forces of fear of anger, of sometimes resistance or hatred, that lead us to act in ways that cause harm to others, harm to ourselves. (coughs) If we start to see this, we become naturally concerned and interested to understand how is it that this takes place? What is it that's going on? And to understand what will allow us, what will support us to be able to Free our hearts from these forces. What we can see if we look inside is that it's a place of suffering in ourselves that drives this, that when we're acting from selfishness or from greediness, from disregard from the wealth for the welfare of others, it's because at some level we're suffering in ourselves and looking for an escape from or a freedom from this. And yet we don't find it in this way. As we learn to be more conscious, as we cultivate and practice the skills of mindfulness, of awareness, of allowing ourselves to become sensitive to our life, to what's going on, we have the, the possibility and the capacity to make choices, to align ourselves with a deep sense of caring that really is at the heart of our being of our lives and so we we give a lot of attention to this process we give our primary orientation to this process of of becoming conscious of being more fully awake of allowing ourselves to feel and to know what it is that we are experiencing directly moment by moment. And from that we start to open up the possibility of skillful choices. To actually align ourselves with what it is in our hearts we might be moved to, to live by but which we don't always find ourselves able to. So this practice of meditation, I find myself often when speaking with people who are curious to know what I do and what this is all about, to, to frame it in terms of the language of happiness and specifically to call it happiness training. I find this expresses for me something very essential about what we're concerned with here. To learn the skills of heart and mind that conduce to happiness and that release our heart and our mind from suffering. To be able to walk a straight line, so to speak. To be able to choose the way in which we direct our attention requires a gentle but firm discipline. And we create the form here, we create the container here and we engage together in this practice supporting each other, supporting ourselves to develop this capacity to be steady, to be collected, to cultivate a non-fragmentation of mind and heart that brings harmony, that brings clarity. And so it's useful to kind of understand what we're engaged in here that there's something very alive about what goes on within our hearts and minds and yet it's not always aligned with wisdom and so we need to to develop the way in which we can align ourselves and it's a little bit like training a puppy we might perhaps just reflect on if you 've ever had the opportunity to uh, to train a young dog that they uh, it 's not possible for a, a a puppy or a dog to live in our human world without understanding some simple principles, and so with the with the training of the mind of learning to live more consciously to be more present. <coughs> We can't force it to do so. And if we endeavor or try to, what we'll notice is that it generates resistance. It's as if we were to have a small dog, a puppy, might be a large puppy, and we say to it, heal. You know, a puppy needs to learn how to to follow, to stay with whoever's in charge of it. And if we put it for the first time beside our foot and say, heal, what does the puppy do? Does it follow us around, or does it just run off? It's not that complicated, is it? Puppy just runs off. So what happens? We gri- we, we, we find where the puppy's gone. We say, "Come back here, Heal. Now, if the puppy keeps running away, and we start to get a bit annoyed, it's like it's a really bad dog. It's obviously no good, you know. Um, and we start to maybe get angry with it. Come on, come over here. You know, the puppy isn't going to really enjoy the experience. It's a bit like that with our mind. If we are kind of hard on ourselves, if we put pressure on ourselves to always be present, as if somehow we're doing it wrong when the mind wanders off, we create an inner environment that doesn't really invite us to be present. But if with the puppy, every time it runs away, we just say, "Oh, Oh, that's where you've gone. Ah, huh, okay. The puppy, you know, likes to sniff a flower, or water a tree, chase a butterfly. That's what puppies do, until they've learnt otherwise. Likewise, we see our minds moving this way and that, and we can just say, Ah, oh, oh, that's where you've gone. That's what's happening. Ah, oh, I see. Here we are, and come back. Over time, there's a sense of this is creating an atmosphere in which the mind is more happy to be present. Just as a puppy, if kindly returned and brought back again and again, will start to establish a relationship with the trainer, whereby it wants to be connected. It wants to be present. Because there's something in that relationship that it values. And so, as we do this, what we see is that it's, Simple, but it's actually one of the most difficult things we might ever undertake. We have to encounter again and again the mind's pull. The way in which it draws or drives or pushes or resists or reacts to our experience. In so many different ways we get to see this. And we see how our mind moves towards the future. How much we're wondering about what's going to come. We see how our mind moves towards the past and how much we're sort of concerned with figuring out what's already happened. Or fixing it sometimes. Or sometimes reliving it. This process of Pursuing experience, avoiding experience. It's something that we have found ourselves in the midst of without necessarily quite realizing how it came to be. In this, we talk about being present. What is it to be present? It's kind of hard to locate sometimes, to know what that is when we think about it. And yet it's something very simple, something very immediate. It's just what's happening right now. It's just how this experience is. It's not more complicated than that. But almost perhaps because it's so simple and so ordinary, it's almost as if we don't really want to be here so much of the time. Like we think we want to be here. It sounds like a good idea. You know, the instructions make sense, it seems. And that's what we came here for after all. We want to practice mindfulness. We want to practice meditation. So at some level we want to be here. But at another level, it seems it's something and it really would rather be almost anywhere else. Isn't that curious? Doesn't that make you wonder about what's going on? Like we have this intention to be mindful, to be present, and yet... So much of the time, that's not what happens. So much of the time, we become lost. So we learn by practicing again and again. Coming into our body. Coming into this felt experience. And getting to know what it's like here. What's actually going on? It doesn't matter how many times... We've said this and we'll say it again. But it doesn't matter how many times your attention goes somewhere else. Can you bring it back wholeheartedly? Can you be? Can you give yourself really fully to what's happening right here? Again and again and again. It might not always be what we wished for. What we thought would happen or what we expected or anticipated. But there's something about this willingness to reconnect, to open, to land again and again and again. This training, we could say, this development, we could say, of a natural capacity we all have. That it looks, in one sense, like we're trying to to do something here, to to be present, as if it's something we do. But it's really much more something that happens naturally and organically as we learn to release the unconscious entanglement with our habitual and unconscious thinking, with the, the pulls and the pushes that move us, that drive us, that so often dominate our lives. So we use the body, and it's really fortunate that we have this body. You know, our bodies aren't always comfortable or easy, and sometimes they get ill or they're a bit sort of clunky or uncomfortable, and sometimes, you know, we might wish that we had a different one or we might wish that we had the one that we used to have, which, you know, it's all very understandable in some ways, but no matter what we have to deal with, and sometimes it can be really challenging what our bodies experience. You know, we're fortunate that we have something that stays here. Because our mind goes all over the place so quickly. You know, it's remarkable how quick our mind moves. How far and how fast we can end up somewhere else, out of touch with where we are. So giving attention to our body, coming back again and again into this experience. We might have had to do it a hundred times, a thousand times, a hundred thousand times today. And every time we do that, something important is being supported. And this, this experience of being embodied, being consciously embodied, What is it like for you? What have you noticed today? In feeling a moment of your breathing experience or placing your foot upon the ground and feeling what happens as you let the weight rest upon that foot. Perhaps there have been moments, and I imagine for all of you, where you've really been there. Although equally many moments when we haven't. But in those moments when we're there, and some of you have spoken about this in the the group meetings, there can be a way in which we're touched. Or a way in which we feel a qualitative shift in experience. That's not that something necessarily new or different is happening, but that we're experiencing it more deeply or more fully. And it offers us something or it speaks to us in a very direct language that goes straight to our heart. What we're really looking for, it seems to me, is perhaps different than what we've imagined we might be looking for. What we've perhaps come to believe or been told and taught we should be looking for. To engage in this practice, this meditation, this journey of our retreat as we are here, to going through the days and just one day so far with some more days to come, without necessarily looking for it, it's kind of inevitable that we start to see What's happening? We start to come to some understanding. And the first element of what underpins our well being, as I mentioned, is that basic orientation and intentionality towards towards goodness, towards generosity, towards non-harming, towards a respectful way of living, a caring and sharing way of living. And yet then we see that in order to be able to make choices that are aligned with that, we need to be conscious, we need to be present. We need to actually be here, in order to make skillful choices. Otherwise we're driven by unconscious reactions, habits and patterns that that don't really serve us. And so we develop this second foundation of what really brings happiness. We call it meditation, or the development of heart and mind through training. And the third element, the third foundation of happiness is the understanding that comes from this journey what it is that we see as we look as we walk, as we stand, as we sit and as we go through the day and we develop this capacity to be more and more awake because not only does that capacity allow us to make skillful choices it allows us to understand how it is that we are often driven in ways that we don't wish to be ways in which we're not free. And so what we notice and what stands out in the meditation often is how there's a sense of looking for, for something, seeking for satisfaction, seeking for happiness in our experiences. It seems sort of obvious that that's what we should be doing in some level. That's what we've been told and taught will be the basis of happiness. And so much of our lives and much of what the world is engaged with is the attempt to organize, the attempt to arrange, to manipulate or to control our experience. In the belief and from the idea that if and when we can organize it in such way as it should be, or in accordance with how we wish it to be, then we'll be happy. Then we'll find satisfaction. Then we'll experience peace. And the end is the the constant ongoing looking, searching and seeking. And yet, as we examine our experience, what perhaps starts to be a little clearer is that the experience isn't in our control. It's changing from one thing to another, not according to our wishes. And this is kind of frustrating and difficult. But it's important that we see this. It's like when we sit down to engage in meditation. Shouldn't it be that we can just get our mind to be quiet if we tell it to? I mean, that This aspect of our experience that seems to be so intimate, that seems to be so close to us, that seems to be so apparently definitive of who or what we are, and it won't follow our instructions, doesn't this make us wonder a little bit, isn't it like, that's a little strange? Now it's actually really important, even though it can be frustrating, it's really important that we see this. Because if we imagine that we can somehow find happiness through controlling experience, we're going to be disappointed. And probably we've all spent years, decades, trying to organise it and get it right and make it happen. And mostly with the belief that maybe I'm just not quite doing it right and if I can learn how to do that better, then I'll succeed at it. And Maybe meditation and mindfulness and coming on a retreat is sort of the the last gasp hope for some kind of spiritual technology that will allow us to get it right to fix it, to make it okay. But experience by its nature is changing, moving from one thing to another. Sometimes it's lovely. Sometimes it's difficult and challenging. Other times it's kind of Ordinary and neutral. But if we look and see, what we'll find is that it keeps moving from one thing to another. There is no kind of place we can get to and say, I'm here. And stay there. No matter how difficult the experience, it will change. No matter how lovely the experience, it too will change. And yet there's this way in which we're looking, we're wanting, we're hoping that something could somehow do it for us. Make us somehow fulfilled. Whether it be through jobs, relationships, possessions, even meditation experiences. They come and they go. They don't last forever. So how are we with that? You know, we come along here, we experience this body, this heart, this mind. That's really what we've done. We've kind of parked ourselves here in the midst of our life just to see what it's like to really encounter ourselves. And what we notice is sometimes the body's uncomfortable. Sometimes the mind's uncomfortable. Sometimes the body's at ease. Sometimes the mind's at ease. But it fluctuates, it moves, it changes. And if we struggle with that, if we resist that, if we try and impose some idea upon that, we end up in conflict with our experience. We end up struggling with what's going on. So we have the opportunity here to just see, can I open to what's here? Can I make peace with the way things are? Can I allow these experiences to be as they are? Because whatever they are, whatever the experience, the way we come to meet it is actually what makes the difference. The way we engage with it is what is most qualitatively significant in how we're experiencing our life in any moment. So notice at times how there's the wish for things to change. or We might wish for something to be different than it is. There's so easy this hope that if I could just change things a little bit, it would be okay. And it's really interesting, you know. Sometimes we're feeling really drowsy and wishing we could feel awake and alert. And yet if your knee starts hurting, it's really amazing how quickly we're not tired anymore. But we don't necessarily feel any more content. Or sometimes we're sitting and we're just wishing for the sitting to come to an end. You know, and it's like, okay, the bell rings, and it's like, oh, relief, Ha, oh, finally. Can end the meditation. Then we go outside, and we're walking back and forth, and it's like, that's not so exciting after a little while either. We start to look forward to the bell ringing. And then it's another sitting. And it's just the same. It's still our heart, it's still our mind, it's still our body. We start to think about lunch, Great. You know, the mind keeps moving towards something else. We get to lunch and maybe lunch is great, how lovely. But then maybe we eat too much. We're feeling a bit like, oh, shouldn't have eaten so much. It's so interesting how things just don't quite seem to stop. Life just keeps going in that way. And so... We're asked to learn to let things be. To let go of our demand for things to be other than as they are. And see what happens if we're just wholeheartedly present in this way. There's a a very real possibility of peace, of freedom, of happiness that's here for us that's available to us, that's in the very life that we're living, not to be found in some other life or some other place. And it really starts with discovering our capacity to open to what is here, to allow ourselves to accommodate the truth of our experience, to not push away that which we find scary or difficult. And a number of you were speaking this morning or this afternoon in the groups about elements of coming on the retreat and that it was a bit like, oh, I don't know how that's going to be for me. It's interesting to see how when we put ourselves here, often the things that we find a little bit scary aren't that bad. In fact, sometimes we can find ourselves really at ease with something that we anticipated as being challenging. Or even if something's challenging, we realize it's difficult, but I can still be here with this. It doesn't mean we have to become absent or unconscious. So noticing the way in which we feel pulled the way in which we feel pushed at times by what's going on. And to see if you can cultivate a relationship to each moment, to each experience in which there's an openness and a willingness to allow yourself to just meet it, to be touched by it, to touch the experience, to touch your life. So we're really befriending ourselves by learning to befriend our experience. Seeing the ways in which we so easily close down or disconnect. And can equally, in a moment of remembering, reconnect, find our way back to where we are. Both Kirsten and I were noticing and appreciating the the quality of, of steadiness and stillness that we were experiencing and sitting together with you all today. And it's not always how it happens on the first day of a retreat, and it may not be how it feels for you that it was happening necessarily that much on the inside, and yet there's a really interesting settling process that happens. And I wonder if you've noticed that or felt some sense of that over this day. It's kind of, it almost happens in a way that we can't see, and yet we can somehow recognize if our attention is brought to it. That actually, this whole field in which we are together, there's a way in which it's sort of quieting, there's a way in which it's sort of clarifying or steadying or stilling. And in that, although the things that are going on for us may be much the same as they were in the beginning of the day or in our lives, there's something more spacious that starts to become tangible. There's something more quiet, more still that we begin to feel the resonance of. And it's not to do with what's happening. It's not to do with whether things are fun or difficult or boring or exciting. Sometimes they're this, sometimes they're that. That's the nature of experience. But there's a settling and a deepening that takes place here. And it's quite organic, it's quite natural. It's in a certain way unstoppable. If you just engage with what we're being asked to engage with, you don't have to make anything happen because what happens is the organic response of our life of our heart, of what it means to be what we are to being supported in this in this being, in this landing, and there's all sorts of ways we can see ourselves that it's really helpful to have a kind of a kindly sense of humor with what we find ourselves doing. You know, the urge to get engaged with things. We're sort of fasting in many ways. From the normal ways in which we entertain and stimulate ourselves with much more sort of strong or even coarse, intense or even gross sort of experiences. That kind of give us a feeling of being alive but in order to maintain that, we need to constantly be having more of them and making them stronger and louder and more intense. And, you know, you may have noticed, and certainly it seems to me, that just the the volume of what's being projected at us and the brightness or intensity of it through the media, it's constantly increasing in quantity and in intensity and in speed. And It's almost like it needs to do that in order to get our attention because we've become a little bit numb or desensitized. And that numbness, that desensitizing is deeply painful to us. And yet if we don't understand it, we're, we're kind of hungry because we're not feeling satisfied and we're looking for more, for more, for more when actually what we need is less. less experience, more simple experience, but to really allow it to touch us. And so in the in the context of the sort of the relative sense of what we as I described this to to someone today, sort of a kind of fasting where we're not feeding ourselves as much, we notice ourselves being hungry. And it's interesting how that plays out, you know. There's not so much language we get to sort of chew on here, and so we might find, and people regularly report, and I see myself, you know, sort of like looking at the label on a teabag and reading it carefully, you know, in a way we've never read a label on a teabag before, or, or going to the notice board half an hour after we were there and looking again and reading the same notices, and they're really interesting, you know. It's amazing how interesting the schedule gets. To read it again, yeah, sitting, walking, sitting, standing, and yeah, wow, okay, and it's like it's entertaining, it's fascinating. What's going on when that's happening? It's like there's a sort of feeding going on. It's like there's something here for me, but the truth is that it's kind of empty. It's not really got anything to offer, and if we can let ourselves feel that sense of wanting, of hungriness it's really important just to let ourselves feel to understand that with compassion. That the feeding of this doesn't bring it to an end. doesn't fulfill us. Or there might be at times we encounter a sense of, of loneliness or we feel sort of a bit disconnected or separate in a way in which it's, it's painful for us to encounter. And the feeling is, I want something to make me feel better. But we can't just put something on top of that. We can't just go off and have some you know, conversation to feel like I'm not on my own here. We're left with the experience. And what we see is that what's important is to not leave that experience on its own. To actually be with the experience. To be present with it. To accompany our heart in this journey. To accompany ourselves consciously and kindly. And in that... Again, there's somehow a healing that takes place or a fulfillment that starts to emerge out of our willingness to not so much look outside of ourselves or outside of this experience of where we are, but to look towards, to turn within and to find the deeper connection that's possible for us, that offers us Something remarkable and profound. There is ultimately nothing missing. There is ultimately nothing wrong with what is here, with what is happening, with what it is that we are. And that sense of looking for something, of trying to fix or to get somewhere else, to change our experience is often based and was not often but inevitably based on some kind of belief that somehow it 's not okay the way it is, or somehow i 'm not okay the way I am and it 's a tragic misunderstanding, so we we start to Allow ourselves to drop through the layer of reactivity, of resistance. The habitual chasing after one thing or pushing away of another. Seeing those tendencies and those urges play out in so many different ways. But coming back to where we are. Not judging or evaluating the process. But just seeing how wholehearted we can be in this. And in this, something in our hearts can come to rest or begin to sense the possibility of a deeper rest, a deeper well-being. When we're not looking somewhere else, there's something that's here, that's very ordinary, very immediate, and yet remarkable, that we couldn't necessarily... Describe and yet we can feel, we can know, we can resonate with. And there's a natural, we could almost say, like organic movement or gravitational pull towards where we are, to what is true right here, that runs counter to the the more reactive and habitual patterns of moving away towards something else, towards something other, that we're asked to release ourselves from the grip of again and again, to allow ourselves to start to settle and to sink more deeply into our experience, more deeply into this moment. men. says 10,000 flowers in spring a cool breeze in summer the moon in autumn snow In winter, when your mind is not clouded by unnecessary things, this is the best season of your life. So the seasons of our experience unfold. At times, it's like summer and lovely. At times it may feel like winter. Not so easy. And yet, what is it to just allow our experience to unfold? What is it to know this heart mind unclouded by unnecessary things? We're asked really just to let go of the demands we place upon ourselves, the demands we place upon experience and upon life, and to see if we can allow it to speak to us in the language of our hearts, in the language of ourselves, we could say, equally. To find the peace and the happiness that we're looking for, It's not somewhere else. It's not going to be found in some other place, some other time, with some other body or some other mind. But here, in this life, in this heart, mind and body, right where we are, And so we practice coming back to this again and again, opening to this again and again, to see what we might discover right here. So let's sit together quietly for a few moments. So may we all, in our practice here together and in our lives, may we deepen in our capacity to connect with our hearts, our minds and our bodies, just as they are. May we allow ourselves to settle more deeply into this moment right here, just as it is. And may we come to know more and more fully our natural capacity for peace, for well-being and happiness in the midst of things as they are, for our own well-being and for the welfare of all beings.